Um, if this is your first time here, uh, my name's Anthony, uh, the pastor here, or one of the pastors here, and uh, it's just good to be back together with you guys. It's been a long time uh, where we haven't been able to dive into the Word together, uh, but I'm excited about what God's got for us. I'm excited to be in the Word together uh, with you. Um, so I want you to know, though, if this is your first time visiting with Riverview, um, we were diving into some texts this morning um, that you might be like, well, like, I showed up to church, and this is the passage that the pastor spoke about. Um, I want you to know it's not an easy text. Um, it's, just, it's just not. Um, but I want you to know that if this is your first Sunday, um, you, this should be comforting to you that we talk about difficult things. Um, because we work through a passage or we work through a book of the Bible, and as we go through, when things come up, we don't dodge them. Um, you know, when we, when we teach exegetically, that means that we don't, we just, we take it and we teach it where it is. We don't try to put our stamp on it. We listen to what God has to say. And so if this is your first time, um, know that this isn't a hobby horse uh, that I jump on, a hobby horse that anybody else jumps on. This is just us teaching what God has brought us to uh, for this morning. So um, I'm glad that you're here, but I think we all need to kind of buckle our seatbelts uh, for what God has for us this morning. So who's ready to learn? All right? Who's ready to be challenged? Who's ready to maybe have your toes stepped on? Nobody, right? Nobody, nobody. All right, so uh, let me reorient, uh, reorient us uh, into our tethered series. Um, we've been going through uh, the book of Mark, um, and it's been a, a while that we've been doing that. Uh, and we called the series that we're in, we called it Tethered. And we called it Tethered because what we see when we dive into the book of Mark is that Jesus brings along these 12 guys specifically. It doesn't mean that it's just about these 12 guys. There are others on the periphery. Um, but he brings along these 12 guys and he's saying to them, if you stay attached to me, I'm going to show you where true life is. If you stay connected to me, I'm going to show you what it looks like to be a brother and a sister in Christ and how to live inside the kingdom of God, not only here, but how this was designed to be forever and forever. And so when we, when we say tethered, what we mean, it's kind of like an astronaut, right? I don't know if you guys are into space kind of things, um, but an astronaut, if they're in a spacewalk in, uh, this, on the space station, they have to connect themselves to something so that they don't just float off out into oblivion. And so staying connected for them actually means life for them. And I think for us, staying connected to Jesus means there's life for us, staying tethered to him. And so um, when you see these astronauts in our day and age, it's kind of the same with these 12 disciples. And for all of us even who are in, in this room, the life that we really want, the life that we desperately need, and the life that we actually need, it's always going to be best lived when we stay connected to Jesus. Could you agree with that? The, the, the best life that we could ever want to live, it's only going to be lived best when it's through Jesus. And that's really in every single area of our life, not the areas that we want to find life in, not the areas that we want to concede in, but every single area of our life. It's true of. And so what I want to do is I want to transition into what we're going to talk about this morning by, by uh, saying this, okay? As believers in Christ... There should always be something inside of us that's being driven by the Holy Spirit. We don't bring this up on our own. Something that is simply by the Holy Spirit that says, God, I want what you want for me. And I don't only want what you want for me. I want your best for me. And I want the best for those who are in my circle. I want the best for those who are in my family that are around me. And when we ask that, 
And when we pray for that, we have to realize that if we truly want what God wants for us, we've got to know that God's best is always going to come through the way that he has designed things to work. Not the way that we want things to work, but the way that he's designed things to work. And here's why I say that, and here's what makes that statement true, and not just something that I'm making up. God is the designer, and he is the definer of everything that he's created. Okay? Did you guys get that? God is the designer. Go ahead and throw that up there, Obi. God is the designer, and he's the definer of everything that he's created. And here's what I mean by that. If, you, if there is a visionary or if there is somebody who's a creator and they happen to create something or they have the wherewithal to create something new that nobody's ever seen before and don't, doesn't the creator of that thing or the visionary behind that thing, don't they have the right to say this is how it works best? Like this is how I designed it and this is how it works best. You may find other ways of using whatever it is that he's created or she's created but the way that the creator has designed it, he says, this is the way that that product, or she says, this is the way that that product works best. Um, we may think another way, but the visionary behind it gets to say, this is how it works best. Now, God has designed and he's created everything. He's created the heavens. He's created the earth. He gives flow to the earth. He gives order to the earth. He gives a meaning to everything so that in him and in his order, the things that he's created, those things get to thrive as they function in the way that he's created them. Every single bit of it. The trees, the animals, the weather, all of it works because God makes it work. It doesn't just work on its own. And so he designs it, and because he's the designer of it, he gets to define the boundaries of how what he's designed works best. Now, we, we may get mad about it. We may get mad that it's cold outside. We may get mad that it's hot outside. We may get mad that when we're out camping, there's mosquitoes and they won't leave us alone. But I don't think that there's any of us or most of us aren't going to argue with the fact that God is the creator of all things. Now, some of us might argue with that. Some of us might, that might stir something inside of us like, ah, I don't really know about that. But most of us, like, it, we don't have a problem saying God is the creator of, of, of nature. But here's where the rub comes in. If he's the definer, the designer and the definer of everything that he's created, that means he's also the designer and the definer of you and me. That means he's the designer of human beings, the men and the women who are sitting in this room, the kids who are sitting in this room, the men and women around the world. And that means like everything else, he gets to define the boundaries for us in everything. We don't get to define those. We, we may not like the boundaries, but we don't get to change the order that he's already given us. And, and life is always going to work best when we're connected to how he's ordered things to work. Now, I think we, would, we wouldn't argue with or we would be the first ones to admit that things in our life don't always go perfectly, right? And anybody get an amen to that? Like things in our, things in our life don't always work out the way that, that we want. Things break down. We mess up. We say we, we, we promise things that we don't come through on. Um, we say things that we promised that we would never say. We break the boundaries that we said that we were never going to break. Our promises don't always hold up. Things in our life, they sometimes go sideways. But when things start breaking down, it's not like God just gives up on us, okay? 
It's not like he just says, okay, because you stepped outside of my design, I'm done with you. Or because things broke down in our life that I'm not going to work with you anymore. God, who has designed us, he cares about every single detail in our life. Not just the ones that we want him to mess with. He cares about all the detail in our life. And here's what that means for us. If you're single, he cares about your singleness. If, if you're engaged, he cares about your engagement. If you're married, he cares about your marriage. If you're dating, he cares about your dating. He cares about those things. And it's marriage and divorce, actually, that we're going to be talking about this morning because it's the text that we come to here. And I want you to hear this from the very beginning, okay? God's best for us in our marriage God's best for us in our singleness is not going to come through the way that the, the world is saying the best is. God's best for us, it's always going to come through the way that he's designed things to work. That's how it's going to work best. And this morning, again, our text is bringing us to marriage and divorce. And I know that this is a tough topic for everybody who's new in the room. I know that this is a tough topic that you walked in on. And it's tough for all kinds of different reasons because we're all in different stages of life, whether we're single or whether we're married or whether we're dating or we're dating again and we're in a situation where things crumbled and it didn't work out the way that we want. It's tough because we're all over the, like we have been in God's design and we have been outside of God's design and we see the effect of that all, all around us. So I know this is hard, but if we can look through the lens that God is the designer and that he's the definer of everything that he's created, I think it's going to help us understand what this passage has to say for us. And so, you guys ready to jump into chapter 10? Yeah, you were ready 10 minutes ago, weren't you? Okay, so we've got on the, the lens of the designer and the definer of all things. And we said that we want to stay tethered to Jesus in all things, right? Every one of us, we want to stay tethered to Jesus. Let's say, we're going to stay tethered to Jesus. We're going to stay tethered to Jesus. Okay, so verse 1 of chapter 10. And he left there, and he went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Okay, so here we go. We, we got those first two verses. And Jesus, what he's doing, he's walking around with his disciples. And do we have any educators of any kind in the room, uh, in the school, at home? Any educators in here? Okay, I want you to pay attention to this. I'm going to ask you how you would handle this in just a second. Okay, so Jesus is walking around. He's with his disciples. And he is uh, teaching this crowd as his custom as he comes up to them. But in the middle of this lesson, there's this group of rowdy Pharisees that jump up in the middle of this and they start asking questions. Now, as an educator, how do you handle rude interruptions in your class? Is that a welcomed kind of a thing? Educators, you talk a lot in the classrooms, but you don't want to talk in here. I see. Okay. Okay, I get you. When we have interruptions in class and there's questions... We say, well, well, there's no dumb questions. Brother, do we really believe that? I mean, there's some dumb questions that pop up. And there's, and there's some things like, why would you interrupt? Like, I'm trying to teach right now, okay? And there are some things that we just don't want to handle. So right now, we would say, usually in our classrooms, interruptions are somewhat welcomed. Interruptions are sometimes innocent. Like, hey, teacher, I've got a question to ask. And you're like, okay, great, I'll answer your question. Hey, teacher, I gotta go to the bathroom. Can I have a hall pass? And, and, and so those, those are innocent kind of things. But the interruption that these Pharisees have, it's not an innocent interruption at all. 
They've been trying to trap Jesus in any way that they can. They've been trying to trip him up and get him in trouble with the religious leaders. And they also, they've been trying to trip him up and to get him in trouble with the crowds to say something or to do something that is going to divide everybody around them. This is what they've been trying to do. Get in trouble with the religious leaders, get in trouble with the crowds, and start a riot. And let's be honest. One way to stir up people, both then and now, is to ask the question or to say, well, tell us what you think about marriage. Who can be married? Who shouldn't be married? What happens when somebody gets divorced? Whose fault is it if somebody gets divorced? What's the grounds for divorce? What's the grounds that people have to walk on in order to, to be married? What are, the, what are the requirements for that? When you look at the climate of our culture, what are some of the biggest issues that we see? They're, they're, they're centered and they're grounded and it's in its hot space around the realm of marriage, is it not? And it's been debated over, over the years. And if you want to cause a rift and you want to cause disruption uh, and, a, and split a crowd right down the middle, this is how you do it. And this is what they wanted. This is why the Pharisees interrupted him in the middle of a crowd. They wanted fighting. They wanted disruption. They wanted confusion. And to some extent, they wanted to be validated on how they had been dealing with marriage in the, in the past and dealing with marriage now, and really how they were treating women in marriage. They wanted Jesus to validate them and to invalidate himself. And so this interruption and the question that these guys are throwing out there, it's not innocent. This is a significant push here in order to ruin Jesus and to ruin his ministry in, in the area of Judea, and not only there, but uh, wherever he's going to walk. The question that they have, it's not innocent at all. And the question that they're asking is, here's what they say. They say, according to the law, okay, is it lawful? Is it okay for a man to divorce his wife? Now, to be fair, this was a question that was circling around there, but I'd say that this is probably a question that's circling around even in this room right now. Right now. There are probably people who are asking that question. Things have been maybe rocky at home. Things have been rough. And you've wondered, and you've questioned, and you've doubted, and you've thought about, and maybe you even started looking up ways how, what, is, what, what does it take to get a divorce? And maybe papers are even in the hand, and you've talked with a lawyer because the season of marriage that you're in right now, it's been a really, really bad and difficult time. And it's made you doubt, and it's made you maybe even want to throw in the towel. I can't remember where I heard this, um, this but this, just this week, I heard that since COVID happened, since 2020 timeframe, the internet searches for divorce have just skyrocketed. Now, divorce has always been something that people were looking towards, and it's always been high, and people have been looking for it. But since 2020, it's gone through the roof. And so maybe you've been one who has typed in, what does it take to get divorced? Maybe that's been a question on your mind too. These Pharisees, they want to know, can we divorce our wives any time that we want? For really anything is what they're asking. And I want you to hear what Jesus has to say to this not-so-innocent question. Look at verse 3. He answered them, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And, and listen to what Jesus says. He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. I want you to notice here what Jesus does. They're asking about divorce. But let's call a spade a spade here. 
They're not really talking about divorce. They're not talking about marriage here. There's an issue that's going on with their hearts internally with them. They are cold and they are calculated and they are harsh, not just towards marriage, but they are harsh to the women who are included in these marriages. Um, so instead of answering their question, here's what Jesus does. He's saying, why are you even asking this question? What's the motive of your heart? What would drive you to ask this question of me right here, right now? And so when he says, what did Moses say to you? What he's telling these guys is check your heart. Check what's going on inside of you. Why would you even be concerned about this? And I have the same exhortation for us that are in the room and for myself. We need to check our hearts. We need to check our hearts when it comes to marriage and divorce. Are our views in line with the designer and the definer and the boundaries that he has set that enable us to function best in our marriage or if we want to be married or in our singleness or have our hearts begun to model the culture that's around us? Just in and out and in and out because that's what's happening here. In this time frame, there are two primary uh, uh, modes of, of thinking, two schools of thought about marriage and divorce that was being derived out of what, of what Moses had written in Deuteronomy chapter 24. And when they read it, they thought that Moses was giving a pass towards divorce. And, and there was a conservative view and there was a more liberal view. And when I say those two words, I don't mean anything political whatsoever. That's just the two different kinds of views there were. One view said that a man could really divorce his wife for any reason at all. If, if his wife messed up dinner, fine, you could, you could divorce her. If, if your wife has gotten older, you could divorce her. Now that kind of happens to all of us, doesn't it? Like we all get older, but apparently it only mattered if the women got older. Didn't matter if the men got older. And so if the women got older, it was free for you to divorce her. If she's not beautiful to you anymore, you could divorce her. For whatever reason, this, this is what that view had, uh, had wrapped itself around. You could leave for any reason. You know what? I'm done. And what would happen is he could throw her out into the street and she had to figure out what to do next. And that left the, the, the lady in the marriage in a pretty difficult position because all of her life, as she grew up, she was supported by her father. That's how the, the culture was. And when she was given to her husband, her husband was supposed to take care of her. She had no financial means of her own. It was all coming through the husband. And so if the dude said, you know what, hey, I'm done, and he throws her out to the street, that leaves her in a pretty precarious situation. She has nothing. So you could see how this could go wrong and sideways very quickly. That was the, the pretty liberal view. But there was another view, a, a school of thought, that said, no, this can't be. The only way that a divorce can happen, a man can divorce his wife, is if he finds out that, he, that she's cheated on him and that she's committed adultery. That's the only reason which seems to line up what Jesus has to say in Matthew chapter 19. And so what Jesus is saying to these um, Pharisees right now is saying that Moses allowed the divorce because of your hardness of hearts. Because you were settled into option A. They had a hard heart and they were just walking out on their wives and they had a view that you could just walk out on your wives for no reason whatsoever. This isn't a legal issue. Then when they come and they say, is it legal for us? This is not a legal issue of the law whatsoever. This was an issue of their hearts. Something was going on inside of them that was broken. Jesus is saying, check your heart. Why are you asking the question? What's the motive behind this? Do you want to do your own thing? Do you want to just do what everybody else is doing around you? Or do you really believe that God, as a designer and the definer, has the best design for your marriage? Is it going to be the culture or is it going to be God's design? Look at verse 6. 
For from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. That's a hot topic. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let man not separate. I want you to notice what Jesus does here. A lot of times when we're asked what our opinion is on something, or our view is on something, or what our stance is on something, we look around to see what everybody else is doing. We may not really have an opinion on what's going on. We may not have a strong thought on that. And because the, um, uh, we see what everybody else is doing or because a view is popular or because somebody's posted it and retweeted it or reposted it again and again and again and you've just seen it everywhere, that just kind of begins to become our opinion on that. We just go along with it. We're like, yeah, you know, whatever he said or whatever she said and um, whatever else is, you know, we'll, we'll, just, we'll just go with the flow. What Jesus says here, he doesn't say that at all. He doesn't say just look around you and do what everybody else is doing. He doesn't say just uh, do what's become socially and, and culturally acceptable. In verse 6 through 9 here, what he does is he says, go back to the original design. Go back to the original intent if you want to see what my view is on this. And he shows them again, this is how it works best. Now, I want to be honest Verse 6 through uh, 9 here, it doesn't make any sense to you. It doesn't, um, it doesn't have any bearing in your life if you don't believe that God's word is authoritative, okay? If we read those words and we want to have a design for marriage and want to have a lens to look through about God as the designer and the finder, it doesn't make any sense if you don't believe the word of God is authoritative. Now, we understand that, that Jesus brings us to salvation, and we, look, and we learn that from the word of God. But that's not what all the scriptures teach us. It teaches us also how to live connected to him. It teaches us how to live tethered to him. And if we don't believe that the Bible is authoritative, then what Jesus is saying to this group of people doesn't make any sense. And if we don't believe it now, it doesn't make any sense to us. But if we can believe that God's word is the foundation for everything that we do, and it has the ability to keep us connected to him, and it has the ability to help us order our entire life around him, then this makes sense. What Jesus says here, it makes sense. So he says, in the very beginning of our Bibles, God shows us his design for marriage. He says, a biological male and a biological female. I've never had to say that before in my life. But the culture that we're living in, we have to define it as that, right? He says, a biological male and a biological female, they come together and they become one flesh. He says, it's, this is a perfect picture of marriage. And there's so much that gets tied up in, in this idea of being one flesh together. Becoming one flesh, it's a big deal. And it's not just about sex, okay? Although, ladies and gentlemen, it does include that. And it should include that, okay? One flesh, though, is like this. There's something that happens when a couple gets married. There is supposed to be complete transparency, vulnerability, acceptance, there's supposed to be a relational and an emotional intimacy at every level of the relationship. One flesh wraps up this emotional, um, social, cultural, it just brings all these things together in, in, one, in one place. Uh, it doesn't say it here, but in Genesis, it says that they were naked and there was no shame and that whole idea of being one flesh and being joined together and naked and no shame is there is complete openness and transparency in this. There is a connection that's taking place. And Adam and Eve here, our first parents, our first marriage, 
They show us what marriage was intended to look like. And you might be saying, yeah, well, that's what happened in the garden. I mean, that was, that was perfect. I mean, for a minute or two. Like, it was, it was perfect there. But that's not what my marriage looks like. I dream of the day where my husband would know me like that. Just like, just deeply know who I am. I dream of the day where my wife would put down Instagram or Pinterest and, and, and we would have a real conversation like, like, we, like we used to. Because there are no perfect marriages. None. None of them are perfect. It ended right after it was designed. Okay? There are no perfect marriages, but there is a perfect design. There is a perfect design. No perfect marriages. All of us walk around on some cracks that we wish weren't there. All of us walk around on some cracks. And, and some of those cracks have turned into foundational problems. And the whole thing has come down. And now you're trying to pick up pieces and, and wonder, well, what am I supposed to do next? How's this going to work? Because there's, there's no perfect marriage. There's none. But there are, are marriages and there are individuals who are walking with Christ that, that seek to follow his design and, and how this works. Whether it was first marriage or second marriage and things are broken right now, there are people who are living in the grace of God and working towards his design. And so this was a heart check for the Pharisees. But fellas, look at me. Men in the room, look at me, okay? This is a heart check for us, too. This is a heart check for us. Are you doing everything that you can to fight for your wives? Are you emotionally checked in? Are you checked in at work and then she never sees you? She never gets to talk to you? Are you checked in? Are you doing everything that you can to fight for your wives? Because what Jesus is doing here, it's a heart check for the Pharisees, but also for us. Ladies, you're not off the hook either. Look at me. Ladies, in your house, are you emotionally checked in? Are you looking for that Facebook friend that you knew way back when and you've checked out of where you're at and you're thinking, man, what would it be like to be with that guy? What would it be like to go back down that road again? Are you doing everything that you can to fight for your marriage? Are you looking for ways out of, of what's going on there? Because there are no perfect marriages. There are cracks that we've got to seal up and let the Holy Spirit of God do some work there. But there is a perfect design. And we can re-engage when things have broken down. And the Holy Spirit's waiting. And he's willing to bring things back together if we'll let him do his work. The next words that Jesus says here, they're very hard. But I want us to remember what Jesus is doing here is he's calling out the Pharisees because they're holding a view that was so cold and so calculated and so heartless to the women in the culture. And it really didn't look like anything different. As, as somebody who's supposed to walk with God, the way that they were treating women didn't look like anything different that, than what was going on in the Roman society at the time. Everybody was just walking out. So there were heart issues. So later, after this happens, their crowd has gone away. There's no threat now of causing a commotion or a split. What Jesus does is he digs deeper into this with his disciples. This is what he does, right? Uh, when he's walking with these 12 guys, he's teaching them what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God, what it looks like to be a follower of Christ, a brother and sister who's going to be in the kingdom. And he's showing them this is what it looks like. And so he would, he would say all these things and people would be in the crowds and then he would pull the disciples away and he'd say, let's have a deeper conversation. Let's go deeper into this. And this is what he does. He pulls them aside. There's no split that's getting ready to happen. In verse 10, he says, and in the house the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. 
And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Okay, I want you to notice here what Jesus doesn't do. He doesn't undo the design that was given in the garden. He says, this was a good design, this was a perfect design, and this is how I wanted it to be. But he digs down into how they in the culture had begun to disregard the original intent of marriage. The men that he's speaking to, not only the Pharisees, but those who claimed to walk with God, they had been given a pass to divorce for so long. But just like he's been doing all throughout Mark, again, he's pulling them aside. He's saying, this is what it's going to look like to walk with me and to be a disciple who's connected and stays connected. And he's showing them what marriage is going to look like as a follower of Jesus. And he speaks directly to the men in, in, in the room that have been given this pass for so long. He says, if you neglect your role as a husband and you walk out and you go after somebody else, it's adultery. There's just no way around what Jesus says here. And then he says to the women, if you neglect your role as a wife and you decide to walk out on your husband and go after somebody else, he says, it's adultery. And, and, and those are hard words to hear if you've come from a background where your parents were in, in this scenario or your grandparents and the home was broken and you've been married and there's been broken things that have happened and there's been adultery and there's been um, backstabbing and hurt and all these things and you're trying to figure out how do I live in grace and how do I live in the love of God and how do I follow truth? But I, this is a part of my story. How do, how, do I, how do I walk in that? We don't see Jesus undo what he says here anywhere else in the scriptures. We don't see Paul and the other epistle writers. We don't see them undo this anywhere else in, in the scriptures. But I don't want us to lose focus here because when we get to that passage, a lot of us, we start thinking, well, well what's my out? Like, what's my legal way to get out of this thing? What, what's, what's, what's my move here? And we start going down this road of, well, what, what, what would be a lawful way for me to get out if I wanted to get out? And how much is enough? And is this, does this reach the limit where I can be out? What I want to say to you is if you are in a physical or if you are in a relationship where you are physically being hurt or you're being emotionally hurt, get space. Get away. Get, get the space that you need. If there's been infidelity, talk to somebody. Okay, there is grace and hope. Um, it doesn't have to end. Like God can bring things back together. There's so many stories where people have been divorced and they've, um, they've, worked through, they've worked through their stuff and he's worked through hers and she's worked through his and now they're in a space where like, hey, hey why don't we try this again? And, and, and it flourishes and it's better than it ever was before. But if there is emotional and physical abuse, I'd say get some space. But I don't want us to miss the focus here. It's not about looking for ways to leave. It's not about um, seeing what happens to me if I leave and I start dating somebody again. And that's not really what this is about. But if you want to talk about those things, then I would love to sit down and have a conversation with you and to dig deeper into this and to answer the nuanced uh, kind, of, kind of questions. What this is, is this is a call that if you're married, don't throw it away. Fight for your marriage. Check your heart. See where the cracks are. And, and, and if there are cracks that are threatening to break down the foundation, don't let those cracks go unchecked. Do the hard work. Fight for your marriage instead of walking out. Because I want to throw this up. You're saying, well, what do I do if my marriage is just kind of rough and I've been in a place and or I've been... Here, here's what you do. If you're in a place where forgiveness is needed, repent. Seek forgiveness. 
true forgiveness, not just I, I want you to do what I want you to do and so I'll tell you I'm sorry. Repent and seek true forgiveness. If trust has been broken in your marriage or in your relationship, do the work of becoming trustworthy. Become a trustworthy person and, and, and then um, begin to rebuild trust with, with your mate. If counseling's needed, seek counseling, guys. Like, there, like there's, I mean, there's such a stigma around like, I wanna pretend that everything is okay and so we, we don't get the help that we need with somebody who can help walk us through that. Don't wait. If things are breaking, the cracks are threatening to break down the house. Like, get them fixed before, before it's, it's too, too late, okay? I was reading a devotional this week, and uh, it talked about uh, the cable company marriage. You ever heard about that? A cable company marriage? I said marriage sometimes is like the cable companies, okay? They do everything that they can, to get you on their side, to, to get your, your business on the front end. Like, we'll hook you up, we'll, we'll give you the bonus equipment, and we'll, we'll give you all these discounts. And, and then, like, they're all excited to have you as a customer. And then you sign on, and then, pff, they're gone. Like, you try to call, like, hey, my thing's broken, can you help? Like, I'm, I'm sorry, let me pass you on to the next person. And then, you, and then, like, you're in the carousel of talking with people. Customer service takes a deep nosedive after, after that. All the perks go downhill. And they said a lot of marriages are like that. Instead of enjoying each other and doing what we can for one another, sometimes we just, we just drop off. We stop doing the things that we used to do in order to, to, to love on our, our wife or our husband or to impress them, to convince them to come to our side. We stop doing those things. We stop fighting for one another, and it just kind of drops off. The service drops off. What Jesus is saying here is, is check your heart. Where's your heart in marriage? If you want my best for you, it's gonna come through my design. It's not gonna come through following what everybody else is doing. Because I wanna say this, sin wrecks a lot of things. It affects every part of our lives and it even affects our marriages. And for you, things might be in shambles right now and the pieces might be all over the ground. I want you to know if that's your story, there's grace for you. There's grace in that space and whatever stage of life that you're in. If you've messed up, God's grace meets us in every corner of our failures and every corner of our successes. His grace is in that space. If you've contemplated doing some pretty messed up things, God's grace can meet you in that space too. They can help you sort those things out. If your life doesn't look like the way you intended it to look, I want you to know that God's grace meets you in that space too. So live in that grace for, for today. God's grace isn't just for two years ago or five years ago. His grace meets us in every step of, of the way. And I want you to embrace that. Don't disconnect from him. Stay connected to him as your lifeline and make choices with him and his design at, at the center. Because I was thinking about something I was, as I was trying to listen to the Lord and write this and, you know, um, talk about something that, that's really difficult. And uh, Greg was just talking a little bit ago about the power of prayer. I want, I want to say, like, in our marriages, like, one of the most powerful things that we can do is pray for our spouse. That we can pray, like, God, I want your best, not only for me, but I want your best for my husband. Or I want your best for my, my wife. Um, Prayer is a powerful thing, and God can do amazing things 
when things feel out of control, when they feel like the foundation has broken and you feel like I've been outside of his design. God's grace can meet you there and he can get you back to where um, you feel connected to him and you feel tethered to him. Guys, God's best is always gonna come through his design. Would you pray with me? Father, you're good. You're a good designer. You're a good definer. You set good boundaries, um, even if we don't like them sometimes. They're for our good. They're for the thriving of us as individuals, but they're also for the thriving us in our marriages and for our marriages to be uh, kingdom marriages that point people to you. Father, where things have broken, would you allow us to feel your grace for us and for our spouse? Where we're struggling with, with being single again and where things feel like we're, we've been offended and things have broke down and whether it was our fault or it was our, our spouse's fault. And I pray that, God, that you would bring healing in those spaces, that you would bring um, some level of, of connection to you and understanding that um, even if it didn't go the way that we wanted it to go, that you're still in that space and you haven't left us and you still care about us. Father, I pray that you would meet us exactly where we are in the stage of life that we're in and show us the next step. I believe your Holy Spirit can do that. So we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys.